When most of us get into trouble, we want clear direction. We want to know exactly what steps to take next. But what if you've got all the advice you actually need to solve your biggest problems right now, but you haven't noticed because you haven't noticed what the real problem is? Today, on The Voice of Prophecy, walk this way. I don't think you're going to want to miss this. I'll be back in just a moment. Ancient Assyrians were a pretty big problem for the Middle East some 700 years before Christ. And they weren't just out to conquer the world, they were also very cruel to the people they conquered. You did not want to be captured by the Assyrians because chances were they'd skin you alive or cut off your hands and feet and then impale you on a stake as a public ornament. And it's not as if they did this stuff in secret at some sort of black ops torture chamber the Assyrians were really proud of what they did, and you can tell because their artwork is really gruesome. They were actually proud of being sadistic. So you can imagine the kind of panic that might have spread throughout the city of Jerusalem when the people heard that Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, was going to conquer their city. Nobody, and I mean nobody, was equipped to handle the Assyrians. So naturally they ran out to find some allies, people who could help them. And in the book of Isaiah, King Hezekiah does what most political leaders would do. He works on a deal with the Egyptians to fight the Assyrians. Because, after all, Egypt was a big country. They had lots of culture, lots of education, and at one time, they were something of a world military power. So they were kind of a natural place to turn. But in Isaiah chapter 30, God begins to question what Hezekiah does. Why are you going to Egypt, God says? Do you not understand the real problem? The only reason you have problems with the Assyrians at all is because you've abandoned your relationship with me. Now let me read this to you from Isaiah chapter 30. You might want to go and grab your Bible if you can find it, if it's somewhere in the house, because... We're going to study quite a bit out of this chapter. This is really important stuff, and it goes a long way to helping us understand how we might be able to solve some of our biggest problems. Here it is now, Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 1. Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel, but not of me, and who devise plans, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Verse 2, who walk to go down to Egypt and have not asked my advice, to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Now, just think about that for a minute. God's people had been slaves in Egypt at one time, and he delivered them and brought them to the promised land. And now, when they're faced with the armies of Sennacherib, they go running back to their former slave masters. Isaiah says they're trusting in the shadow of Egypt, which is really, really strange, because it was not the shadow of Egypt that protected them during the Exodus. It was the cloud of God's presence that traveled with them. God had been their protection from the Egyptians. He was the one who set them free. 
And yet somehow, God's people now want to trust the Egyptians more than the God who delivered them. And honestly, as I think about this, this is something we all do. We know we're in trouble. We know there's something wrong in our lives. And where do we go for help? We actually find ourselves going to our former slave masters, to the very places that got us in trouble in the first place. But how in the world can other sinful people offer a solution for sin? How can people whose lives are just as messed up as yours offer you hope? If you run to Egypt when your life is falling apart, what you're actually doing in the words of Isaiah is adding sin to sin. You're getting bad advice. So you're actually adding other people's sins to your own. And now you're not just committing your sin, you're adding their sins to your activities as well. Now, now some years ago, I met this guy who was struggling with a really bad pornography habit. So he went to a professional counselor which makes a lot of sense from a human perspective. I've actually sent a lot of people to counselors when they have a particular problem. So what I'm about to say isn't really anti-counselor. There's a time and a place for it. But the counselor that this guy chose, he was not a Christian. He was not a believer. So the advice he gave was not spiritual. In fact, the advice he gave was horrible. Listen, the counselor said, your problem is that you feel guilty. Guilt is your real problem. So What I want you to do is indulge in as much pornography as possible. Just keep watching it until you stop feeling guilty and maybe, maybe even have an affair. Now, I I wish, I wish I was making that up, but it's true. I'm I'm not making this up. That's what he actually said. He told this guy the problem wasn't porn. The problem was guilt. Now, if you happen to believe in God, that doesn't make sense. A believer knows the problem is sin. And a believer knows that feeling guilty can actually be useful. It can help you realize that something is wrong. But if you take advice from a non-believer who doesn't have that perspective, you're actually going to make things worse. You'll be adding their sins to your sins. I mean, humanly speaking it does seem to make good sense. Go and get some help from the Egyptians. Go and build an alliance with the world. But when it comes to solving the real problem, the breakdown of your relationship with God, this is not going to help. Maybe you remember the story where Jesus turns to Peter and rebukes him. Satan has asked for you, Jesus says, that he may sift you as wheat. That's in Luke 22, verse 31. In other words... The devil cannot wait to have his way with you. He's just sitting on the sidelines waiting for an opportunity to take you down. And if you do not have Jesus, there's not an army on earth that can stop him. There was nothing to protect Peter except for his relationship with Jesus. There was nothing to stop the powers of darkness. And the same was true for Israel. The only reason they were in the promised land was because they were holding God's hand. They were trusting him. But the moment they let go of God, the Assyrians were knocking at the door, and the Israelites panicked. They turned to Egypt, of all places. Now I want you to listen to Isaiah 30 and verse 3. Here's what it says. Therefore, the strength of Pharaoh shall be your shame, and trust in the shadow of Egypt shall be your humiliation. Basically, what God says is, go ahead. 
Go, form an alliance with Egypt and see if it helps. I I guarantee that the Pharaoh will not solve your problem because you don't have a military problem. You have a profoundly spiritual problem. Now, what's really amazing about this is the fact that Egypt was already a military has-been at this point. They were actually nobodies. Hezekiah was running to a powerless nation. Just a few years after this story, the Assyrians went further south and they easily defeated the Egyptians. They could not help Israel. And even the king of Assyria told Hezekiah that. Over in Isaiah 36, he warns the Israelite king, Look, if you lean on Egypt for support, you're actually leaning on a broken reed. And if you lean on a broken reed, it's going to cut your hand. I'm going to defeat you, the Assyrian king says, because you've compromised your relationship with God. Even the Assyrians could see what was going on. And honestly, the whole world can see it when you and I break our covenant relationship with God. The world today laughs at Christians, not because we believe in the God of the Bible. They laugh because we say we believe, but our lives tell a different story. I'm convinced if the world could see the difference that God actually makes, there wouldn't be much to laugh at. They they still might say that the Bible isn't accurate. They still might say that it can't be trusted. But they wouldn't be able to argue the fact that your life is different, better, because of the God of the Bible. Even the enemy of God's people understood this. Running to the Egyptians is always pointless. And yet sometimes... God's own people seem to be willing to spare no expense to get advice from the world. And in just a minute, I'll show you what I mean. I'll be right back. Hello, I'm Jean Boonstra. Do you feel as if you have more questions than answers in your life? Are you searching for answers to some of life's biggest questions? Well, the Discover Bible Guides can help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or call us at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. Welcome back to The Voice of Prophecy. I'm your host, Sean Boonstra, and today we're talking about King Hezekiah and his problems with the Assyrian army. In Isaiah chapter 30, the Assyrians are about to wipe out the people of Judah, so Hezekiah the king goes running to the Egyptians for help. And this is a story God wants you to pay attention to, because he actually says so down in verse 8. Write it before them on a tablet, it says, and note it on a scroll that it may be for time to come forever and ever that this is a rebellious people. In other words, God is using their example as a warning to us. Don't think Egypt can save you if you violate the will of God. Now, I want to pick up the story in verse 6, right after God warns the people of Judah that running to Egypt is only going to make life worse. So this is it, Isaiah 30 and verse 6. Listen to this. The burden against the beasts of the south. And, of course, Egypt was to the south. Through a land of trouble and anguish, from which came the lioness and lion, the viper and fiery flying serpent, they will carry their riches on the backs of young donkeys and their treasures on the humps of camels to a people who shall not profit. 
Isaiah is saying that God's people seem to be willing to pay any price to get help from the Egyptians. They're willing to cross a dangerous wilderness and pay everything they have, but it's pointless because Egypt can't help. So now think about those times when you found yourself in real trouble. And I mean the kind of trouble that comes from neglecting your relationship with God. Maybe your home is a war zone, or your marriage is on the rocks, or your finances are in tatters because you did things God told you not to do. Now, I'm not talking about normal day-to-day problems, the kind that everybody has. I'm talking about the stuff that happens because of a breakdown in your relationship with God. So, for example, your marriage might be broken because you cheated on your spouse or you dabbled in pornography. Or your relationship with your kids is horrible because you did not take the Bible's advice on parenting very seriously. Or maybe your health is in tatters because you refuse to follow biblical principles and take care of yourself the way the Bible teaches. Something has happened because you ignored the counsel of God. Now, I want to be careful. I don't want to give the impression that every problem comes from disobedience because Jesus is quite clear that's not true. But sometimes our problems do stem from violating the terms of a relationship with God. And for the most part, we'll know when that's the case. We know when it's our fault. And amazingly, our first reaction seems to be, I'm going to fix this problem myself. Instead of turning back to God, instead of admitting that we're wrong, instead of admitting that we need His help, what do we do? We run to the Egyptians, and we're willing to spend far more time and energy on the wrong solution than we are on making things right with God. It's kind of like the story of Naaman, the Syrian commander who had leprosy. You probably remember, he ran to God's prophet for help, and he was told to bathe in the Jordan River seven times. And Naaman refused. Why? Because that was just too easy. The Jordan was muddy. It was humble. And he would rather do something great and noteworthy. He wanted to conquer something, climb a mountain, anything noble. He didn't want to accept the humble terms associated with God's solution. And you and I are exactly the same. We want to do things our way. We want to establish our own terms. And we seem to expect God to comply with our conditions. So here, in Isaiah 30, you have God's people more willing to sacrifice life and limb, willing to blow the whole national budget on a relationship with Egypt, than they are to wash themselves in the humble Jordan River. Even in the face of Assyrian conquest, they can't admit they're wrong, and they can't admit that the only greatness they ever had was found in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this story and apply it to North American Christianity. For years and years and years, we've been complaining that Christianity is now in decline, that people are leaving the church, that secularism is on the rise. We complain that the Christian church finds itself in trouble. And if that's true, and to some extent I I think it might be true, if it's true... You've got to ask the question, is the church in trouble because God no longer exists? Well, of course not. The same God who worked miracles in the past is still alive today. So the problem, if there is a problem, isn't God. The problem 
has to be us. The problem has to be that somehow we've neglected our relationship with God. If our churches are dysfunctional, if they're slowly dying, if the Assyrians are banging on our front door, then one of the first things we need to explore is the possibility that somehow you and I haven't been living up to our end of the bargain. That somehow you and I have torn down God's sacred things and we have allowed things to get this bad. So, what's the solution? Well, if you watch modern Western Christianity at work, we seem to be under the impression that the solution is political. If only we could put the right man in the White House, we say. If only we could enforce Christian morality in the halls of Congress. If only we could stop the unbelievers from wielding so much influence, then we might be able to fix the sorry state of the church. Now, you'll find the roots of that kind of thinking in the works of a guy by the name of R.J. Rush Dooney, who might just be one of the most influential people you've never heard of. He was the father of an idea known as dominionism. This idea that what America needs most is a theocratic revival, a legislated Christianity, a national official religion. But then there are others who have another solution. They think the solution might be cultural. They say if only we mirrored the popular culture more closely, if only we were culturally relevant, then the church would be growing. If we had the same look and the same sound, if we were more generic, more palatable, then the church would grow. But you know something, in in both cases, in the cultural and the political solutions, we're really running back to the very things that enslaved us before we came to Christ. We're actually running back to the Egyptians. You see, we didn't come to Jesus personally so that we could embrace popular culture. We actually came to him to get away from it. And we didn't come to Jesus to seize the reins of earthly government. We came to Jesus to be part of a kingdom that one day replaces human government after the second coming. I want to show you something very interesting in Isaiah 30, verse 16, where God talks about the Assyrian cavalry and Judah's plan to match them horse for horse. They had a military solution for their problem. Isaiah 30, verse 16. And you said, No, for we will flee on horses, therefore you shall flee. And we will ride on swift horses, therefore those who pursue you shall be swift. You see, Hezekiah was thinking that if the Assyrians had a strong cavalry, then he needed a strong cavalry. I mean, you've got to match your opponents weapon for weapon, piece for piece. And in a lot of cases, modern Christians seem to be adopting the same attitude. If the world has political power, then we need political power. If the world loves its popular culture, then we need popular culture. So now we live in a world where the average American church service is starting to look like an all-American pep rally, And there's very little anymore to distinguish the Christian community or the worship service from a theater performance. Now, now obviously, I'm not saying that church should be boring or that our music should be bad. But if our attitude is that we've got to have what the world has in order to survive, then you and I are still running for Egypt. We're still trying to match horse for horse. But the reason we're failing is really because we've taken matters into our own hands and we're refusing the humble simplicity that God wants from us. If you want horses, God says, just understand that the only thing you're going to use them for is to beat a hasty retreat. I mean, at least they'll be useful for running away. 
Now, I want you to hang tight for just a moment because I have to take a break. I'm up against it right now. But as soon as I come back, I'm going to show you the amazing promise that God makes to Hezekiah if he'd only learn to place his trust in God. I'll be right back. Hello, I'm Jean Boonstra. Are you searching for answers to life's toughest questions? Like, where is God when we suffer? Can I find real happiness? Or is there any hope for our chaotic world? Are you searching for answers to these and other of life's most challenging questions? Well, the Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers that you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers in guides like, Does My Life Really Matter to God? and A Second Chance at Life. You'll find answers to the things that matter the most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. And we are back from the break. Today I'm talking about Hezekiah's plan to avoid an Assyrian conquest by turning to the Egyptians for help. And so far we've discovered that the world can't help you when your problems come from a compromised relationship with God. A worldly solution isn't going to fix it. Now, what I want to do with the time that I have left is look at God's promise to Judah. I want to look at what happens when we focus on the real problem. What happens when we restore our covenant relationship with God instead of looking for an external solution. So I want you to go back to Isaiah 30 and verse 18. And we're going to start working our way through a few verses because I really want you to study this carefully. I want you to see what God has in store for you if you would just come back to him humbly. So here it is now, Isaiah 30 and verse 18. Therefore, the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. And therefore, he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. You see, no matter how far you stray from God, no matter how badly you've compromised your spiritual life, God is still waiting in the wings, and He wants to show you mercy. Now, there does come a point when you can damage the relationship so badly that you no longer want to come home. You can't. But that's not because God vacated the premises. It's not because God abandoned you. It's because you abandoned Him. It's because you resisted the voice of the Spirit so long that you can't even hear it anymore. Some people might call that the unpardonable sin, the one that can't be forgiven because you don't repent of it. But at this moment right now, if you want to come home, if you're interested in a relationship with God, then I can safely tell you you haven't committed the unpardonable sin. If you had, you wouldn't care. But if you care, you haven't committed it. And God is more than willing to take you back right at this moment. Let me continue now in Isaiah 30, verse 19. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will be very gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. 
And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner any more, but your eyes shall see your teachers. Now, there was a lot there. What does it mean? What is the bread of adversity and the water of affliction? Well, it's it's telling us that God sometimes allows the Assyrians to knock on the door just to get our attention. Sometimes, God lets your life fall apart just enough that you begin to notice that He's missing and you want to come home. And when you do come home, God says, Your eyes shall see your teachers. In other words, when you come home, you're going to discover that the prophets were right. The Bible was right. The promises of God are faithful. If you've run to the Egyptians for help, and now you've discovered that God was right, that the Egyptians can't help you, you're going to discover that God's promises are also true. You're going to see your teachers. You're going to understand that God was right. At the end of the day, we all learn to trust the Bible by living out what it says. I mean, you can read the Bible, you can memorize it, but you're never going to really know that what the Bible says is true until you dare to live what it says. The whole reason that so many people mock the ideas found in the Bible is because they've never actually tried them. They've never taken those passages where God says, Prove me, and proven him. They, they don't believe it because they don't live it. But if you have the courage to try things God's way, you're going to discover, and, and sometimes after a while, that God's teachers were telling the truth. Here comes verse 21, and this is one of my all-time favorites. Your ear shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. Now, I want you to think about what that's saying. Hezekiah was desperate to know what to do. He spared no expense trying to find a way to beat the Assyrians. He was even willing to build a relationship with a former slave master. And all that time, he didn't have to worry. He didn't have to spend vast sums of money. He didn't have to risk a dangerous liaison with Egypt. All he really had to do was build up the old waste places and come home to God. If you need a plan, God says, I've got one. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. God says, listen, I can handle the Assyrians. You just worry about your relationship with me. God knows you aren't equipped to handle all the bad stuff life can throw your way. You're as defenseless as Judah. You don't have the resources to handle darkness by yourself, so God will handle it for you. He'll give you all the guidance you need to successfully navigate your life. He'll actually hand you a road map. When you face a tough challenge, you'll suddenly hear God whispering, This is the way walk in it. Listen, you've, you've probably been trying way too hard to fix your problems, and your solutions are about as helpful as a weakened, defeated Egyptian army. It's just going to make matters worse. But all this time, you've had all the help you need in a God who will never leave you nor forsake you. I remember my oldest daughter, when she was just under two years old, trying to pull up a brick from the sidewalk in front of our house, and she would grunt and yell, HEAVY! And then she would try again and again and again. Even though I didn't want that brick pulled out of the sidewalk, I knew she wanted it. So I walked over and pulled it out for her because I knew she didn't have the strength. And that's how it is with God. He sees you straining and pulling at the bricks of life trying to solve your own problems. 
even writing contracts with the Egyptians. But if you would just get out of the way, if you would humbly let God work, if you would recognize just how badly you need Him, if you would just let God back onto the throne of your life, you would discover that God is really good at pulling the bricks out of the sidewalk. So what are you doing trying life all on your own? You've known for years now that it's not really working, and maybe it's time to listen for that still small voice saying, this is the way, walk in it. I'm Sean Boonstra. Thanks for listening to The Voice of Prophecy. Hello, I'm Jean Boonstra. Do you feel as if your life has lost its meaning, just moving from one task to another without any answers to the really important questions in life? Like, is it possible to have a fresh start and to find real happiness? Well, the Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers that you're looking for to this and to all of life's big questions. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. You can choose to study in the format that's most convenient for you. You may either do the lessons completely online or have them mailed right to your home. Both options are completely free of charge. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions.